I've titled this uh, Obedience the Key to Quality of Life. Quality of Life. Um, you know, obedience to the commands of God brings a quality of life, of living, you might say. And, and of course, this is kind of a continuation of the exhortation that Solomon is giving to us that his father gave to him. And he, he, you know, he tells us to keep our focus, first of all, on God's law and obey it. And this is really the main, I think, the main point of this chapter. Uh, but the key to doing that is, is, is uh, again, is the heart. My son, verse 1, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things are talked about in this chapter, but I think they all center around keeping our heart on God's commandments. Uh, the heart uh, is, the word heart is used 78 times in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the only other place that's used more is in the book of Psalms. It's used 119 times in the book of Psalms. Uh, and, of course, the heart is the will it's the center of your being, uh, and, and it's, it's from, from which you make choices. Uh, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the, about the heart being deceitful and desperate wicked. Who should know it? Uh, you know, it describes David as a man after God's own heart. What's that mean? Well, I believe that he had a, a will to do what pleased the Lord. You know, it doesn't mean that David was a perfect man because he wasn't. And we all know that David committed a terrible sin. In his sin, several terrible sins in his life, but yet when he was confronted with the truth, he sought to do the will of God, and uh, so the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. He had a heart, uh, and and we need we need to have a heart that seeks after God, and of course, I believe the heart is renewed. We we live in a corrupt world where our heart is corrupted, and we're coming into this world with a corrupted heart. We go astray from the womb, speaking lies, the Bible tells us. And so we need a, a renewed heart, and we need a heart that's renewed on a daily basis. Uh, the the uh, uh, Ephesians 4, 22 and 23 says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And, of course, I believe the mind is what feeds the heart. What we put into our mind goes to your heart. And like Brother Oil said, said here the other evening, what you put in there, you can't pull out. You can't just pull it out and get rid of it because it's there. It's there forever. Uh, and, and so, but we, we can renew the heart. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, David said, after his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah the Hittite, he, he told, he, 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 his prayer was, Renew a right spirit within me. In other words, a right heart to seek after God, a right spirit, a right attitude, a right will, renew that right will within me. And he was, of course, he was asking that of the Lord. And so uh, the heart, the mind, is from what we make choices. And so it's very important that we 
guard our heart. Again, the word heart's used 78 times, and, and this is the key to obeying. We have to keep our heart uh, in thine heart. Uh, for example, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, apply thine heart to understanding. Verse 10, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. And then here in chapter 3, verse 1, Let thine heart keep thy commandments. Verse 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of the heart. Again, you know, it's comparing, you know, if your heart was a table, you'd write it on there so you could see it all the time. Uh, Verse chapter four, verse four. He taught me also and said unto me, "Let thine heart retain or keep my commandments and live." And then chapter four, verse twenty-one. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. And then that verse is often referred to many times. Keep thy heart with all diligence. In other words, put some effort into it. It's going to take work. It takes work to keep your heart to guard or protect. Or maintain. That's what it means to keep. It means to guard, to protect, or to maintain. I know I was talking to Andrew, Drew, one time about his, before he got the car. I don't know if he does this, this car he got or not, but when he was driving that truck, you know, that truck had some age, he said, I check that oil every day. Maybe a couple times a day. I mean, he was meticulous about maintaining that truck. That's why he kept it running. You know, if you don't check the oil, sooner or later it's going to quit running. I mean, and when they're older like that, they'll quit running sooner. Uh, you know, I, I usually run older vehicles, and I, I check the fluids consistently, uh, you know, uh, often. Uh, that's, that's, I think that's why I keep them running for a long time. You, know, you have to maintain it. The same is true with your heart. If you want to ha- keep your heart with all diligence, you've got to maintain it. You've got you to you put some effort into it. And so that's why he says renewing your mind, because uh, the mind, again, feeds the heart. So, so it's very important that we guard, we keep, uh, let thine heart keep my commandments. Uh, meditate. Spend time thinking and, and memorizing the Word of God, the commandments of God, because uh, and, it'll, it'll, it'll help us to walk with God. It'll give us a quality of life. Now, notice there's several, quite a few things here. And I'm just going to go through this. It will give you a longer life and a quality of life, verse 2 and verse 8 and verse 16. Verse 2 says, For length of days and, and, of, and length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Of course, that's a that's one of the commandments, part of the one of the ten commandments. You know, honor thy father and mother that may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. It's repeated in Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, uh, which is the first commandment with promise, well, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. I think that's how that goes there. So. So this is, this is repeated several times in the scriptures and it has to do with, again, keeping the commandments of God, being obedient to the commandments of God. It will give a long and quality of life. Peace shall they add to thee, he says. Verse 8 says, It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Now, when it speaks of the word health here means healing. The idea of medicine. Something that's going to bring healing. Uh, 
And marrow is, marrow is the fluid that's in your bones. And I think, if I uh, try to remember now, I looked this up, but from which your, your, uh, your blood cells uh, reproduce. Um, I'm getting yes shaking head from the nurses here, so I'm sure I'm on the right track. But but it's vital. The bone marrow is vital for your livelihood, you know, for quality of living. And he says that uh, you know it'll be health. The commandments of God will be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. That's fluid in your bones. Speaks of the life of the body, the life of the bones. Uh, and then verses 16 to 18, length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. You know, when we think about the tree of life, we were just in Revelation, in chapter 21, the tree of life is going to be in, in, the, in the New Jerusalem, and, you know, it's going to have the leaves of the healing of the nations. It'll have 12 manner of fruit and bear fruit every month. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a tree with pictures for us a tree of abundance or overflowing life, and uh, so this is this is what uh, keeping the commandments of God, keeping your heart in the commandments of God, will do in your life. In your life, He also instructs us here where to you know uh, claim the triumphant twins. Somebody's called these the triumphant twins of mercy and truth. Notice verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Now, now I call these triumphant twins, and these are identical. They're not identical, but they are to be identical. I know that sounds silly, but we need to have them in the right proportions. If you have too much mercy... Mercy is really pity, compassion. That's the idea of mercy. Uh, if you're too pity, pitiful and compassionate, you'll not confront people with the truth that really sets them free. You'll tend to overlook their sin because you feel sorry for them. You know, some people are very pitiful, you know, and they just feel so sorry for people and so bad for them. And so instead of really confronting their sin, they try to do for them. And you know, this is the way our society is, that, you know, instead of, instead, of, instead of making people responsible for their actions, feel sorry for them and want to give them things and take care of their problems for them instead of making them take responsibility for their sin. And so if you're overbalanced in mercy, now you can be overbalanced in truth. And you just be, well, that's just their problem, you know, and, and have no compassion whatsoever. You know, Jesus is a perfect picture of this. He was compassionate. He, he wept at the grave of Lazarus, and, and you know, and he, he had compassion on pe- people, but he did not compromise truth to cater to the wants or needs of people. Uh, he 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 really did tell it like it was, though he did it with compassion. So there has to be a balance here. Uh, and, and so when I say they're identical twins, they need to be in each in the right measure. There needs to be a balance with mercy and truth. And and so uh, and and Jesus, of course, is the 
is the uh, uh, picture for us of mercy and truth. In John chapter 1, in verse 17, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So he is that grace and truth, he is that mercy and truth. And, of course, truth is an an unbending standard which manifests itself in judgment and purity. So if all you do is judge people and don't express some compassion, then you can harden them or turn them away or be uh, overly offensive. So we need to have the right balance with mercy and truth. Uh, People need to know that we care, but yet they need to be told the truth and instructed into truth, because it is the truth that will set them free and give them deliverance. You know, if all you do is show them compassion and mercy and help them, but you never give them the truth, they'll they'll continue in their sin, and they'll just let you help them. That's really enabling people to live in their sin. Um, you know, many of you, I'm sure, have listened to Dave Ramsey, and you know, have, every once in a while, there's some mother or parent calls in and talks about this child who's, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, 40 years old, still living in the house, and you know, and and not really working, and and they're enabling him, and you know, he usually doesn't um, um, hide his disdain for that kind of thing very much. You know, he he kind of just tells them, you know, straight out, you're enabling them. You're enabling them to continue. As long as you do that, they're going to do it, you know. And, and so, you know, that's kind of a, uh, the extreme of a mercy there. Uh, so there needs to be a balance. We need to have the truth. Uh, the, you know, mercy and truth. He says, let them not forsake them. Bind them about thy neck. Write them on the table of thine heart. You know, this will give you good sense. And uh, so, uh, and then verses 5 and 6 we need to trust God in everything. Notice what he says here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. On all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. These verses are probably quoted as much as any verse in the Bible. But notice it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Uh, with your whole being, your whole will. It speaks of being surrendered or submitted to the Lord. And, 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 and notice he adds here, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, don't trust yourself for anything. You know, we need to be reminded ourselves once in a while of Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. You know, my heart is not the test is something right or wrong. No. The Word of God is. Uh, we should not trust our own heart. We should rely on the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not our own way or our own will or our own reasoning, but is it right or is it pleasing or is it the will of God for my life? Uh, he says, in all our ways, acknowledge him. 
So all your ways acknowledge. The word acknowledge means to recognize or confess him. So in everything, we ought to recognize God in everything. If God's not there, should we be? If God's not leading in this, should we be there? If we can't see God in this, or God's will, or God's blessing, or, uh, you know, should we even consider uh, what we may be doing? Go to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. If this is a possibility of affecting my life in an adverse way in my relationship with the Lord, uh, should we should we consider it? You know, it, this is the idea here. Exodus chapter eight, verse eighteen and nineteen says this: And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, "This is the finger of God." And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not on them as the Lord had said. Now, so, you know, David, or not David, Moses had done, uh, this is the fifth miracle or, or plague that Moses did. And this is, but this is the first one that the magicians said, huh, this is the finger of God. Now, if they'd have been trusting the Lord with all their heart, what they should have said a long time ago was, when the first plague came, this is the finger of God. We see, they weren't, they weren't recognizing God in this until this point. And Pharaoh still refuses to recognize God in this. See, we need to, we need to acknowledge God in all our ways. Our ways. If we can't see God in it, or God's purposes in it, then should we be in it? Look at Psalm seven or Psalm thirty-seven. Psalm thirty-seven. <clears throat> Psalm 37, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You know, the key here is to delight yourself in the Lord. That's the key to this pass, this, this, these verses, is to delight yourself in the Lord. If your delight is in the Lord, you're going to delight in what the Lord directs in your life. You're going to want God's will done in your life. And so the, the key is here to delight thyself. And then he says, of course, to commit thy way unto him. So it's like you're, you're surrendering every way or every direction in your life unto the Lord. And of course, he will bring it to pass. So we need to acknowledge God in, every, in everything, in all our ways. Recognize Him and seek His will in everything. And so 
you know, we need, to, we need to trust in the Lord in everything. And then we notice also in verses 7 and 8 that, again, obedience or submission to God brings riches and fullness of life. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And, of course, that, really it all connects with verses 5 and 6 as well. Uh, you know, you know, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Have reverence for Him. Fear Him. Give deference to Him. Allow Him to direct in your life and, and, uh, and have His will in your life. Deference means you give place to. You give place to. In other words, you don't persist in your own will. You submit to God's will for your life. Uh, so... Uh, he says, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Uh, again, uh, we're not to lean to our own, stand, our own understanding. That's pride. And so we're to give deference to the Lord, and it will, it will, it will help us to depart from evil. Now, we are to honor the Lord with our substance, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine in Christ. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, if you're going to lean to your own understanding, you know what you're going to do with your first fruits? You're going to keep them. After all, it is mine, right? That's what my own understanding says. You know, it really doesn't make... You know, if you throw the Bible out... It doesn't make economic sense to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. Because by the world's standard, that's a poor investment. By the world's standard. Uh, There's a pastor told me one time about it. He was met with an investment guy and and he was talking about his financial future and the guy said something to the fact, well, you know, you're giving, it, it, I can't remember the wording, but anyway, the idea was you're giving too much to the, to the church. It's not a wise investment. You know, it wasn't that it was it wasn't causing this man to not be able to take care of his needs so it wasn't a a a financial burden for him to but see but but for the future into retirement the investor didn't think it was a good idea to be giving so much money to the church but if you if you look at things from an eternal perspective and from a spiritual perspective you have greater effect affecting people's lives by giving to a church than you do anything else in the world. Because it's eternal. You're dealing with the eternal souls of men. Uh, so it's, an, it's not just a temporary investment, and not to say there's nothing wrong with those. You know, I'm talking about an earthly investment, nothing wrong with those. But this is an eternal investment. And so the Lord says, you know, if he's, if he's the Lord, we're to, give, 
we're to fear Him, we're to give deference to Him, that means we ought to give it to Him first. You know, it does a little, little bit irk me that the government gets more than He does. I, I kind of like what, uh, was, was it Ben Carson, I think it was said, during, during the 2016 campaign that, that he thought, uh, you know, if 10% is good enough for God, it ought to be good enough for the government too. I, th- I think that was a pretty good idea. Maybe the government should just be nine. But anyway, no, we're to honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Of course, comparing Scripture with Scripture, we'd understand the first fruits to be the tithe. You know, and Malachi very clearly says, if we are not giving our tithe to the Lord, we are robbing God, Malachi 3, uh, 7 through 9. And so, so we are to give this first. And God honors, again, God honors those that honor them, Him. And again, if, if our heart, and again, it's a heart issue. If the heart is right, if we have a heart after God, we're not going to have a problem giving it. It won't be a problem to give it. Even if it's just a little bit. Even if, it's, even if we make a little. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Well, let's read verse 6 also. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth spir- bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as a purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So God wants us to give it cheerfully or willingly or with a, a free will. Uh, the word cheerful is really kind of, means kind of hilariously. You know, in other words, we, we are, we're giving it because we want to. Not because I have to. We shouldn't ever give our tithes and our offerings and, as say, Lord, I'll give you this if you make sure you supply all my needs. Well, Lord, I'll give you this because you promised to bless me. Well, I'll give you this, but I really don't want to. That's grudgingly. See, that's, that comes from a heart that's really not right with the Lord. Because we're to give deference to Him, we're to honor Him. He says to honor the Lord with the substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. If, it, if we're to we know from, from Ephesians 6, we often tell our children, to, obey with, to, to honor your parents means you obey willingly or happily. Not just, all right, I'll do it. Again, the key is the heart. The heart is the heart. Uh, then we also, we instructed here, to accept God's correction, understanding that it is for our good. Notice verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son of whom he delighted. Now, how long did your parents correct you? I mean, did they, you know, after a few years, they just quit? Or did they correct you until you 
didn't need correction anymore. I mean, we're not to be weary or get tired of his correction. His, and, and understand that God's correction is always right. It's always for our good. You know, I got some correction growing up that I didn't deserve. I'm sure all of you probably did. Or, you know, maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. You know, maybe your parents didn't correct you. I don't, I don't know. But, what, but I, I remember I got a weapon for something I didn't do. Now, Dad was convinced I did it. But I say to this day I didn't do it. Now, I will say this. I'd rather he correct me for that than never corrected me at all. So I'm not angry that Dad gave me a licking for supposedly leaving the basement door open when I contend I, it was not me that left the basement door open. I do remember it. But like I often said, I, I'm, I'd rather he gave me a licking for something I didn't do and, and corrected me than didn't ever correct me at all. I've come to understand that. Now, none of it was pleasant. I never got a licking that I was glad had done or happy about. It always hurt. Uh, no, but he says here, my son, again, notice the, 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 the intimate relationship here. He, he addresses us as sons, as his children. Despise not. Don't look down on or disdain the Lord's chastening. And don't be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. You know, Proverbs 29.17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall be delight to thy soul. You, you know, we're to have a when we correct our children, we ought to have a goal in mind. That they, that they are at rest, at peace. You know, I, I, I was talking to my nephew some years ago, and we were talking about child correction. He had little ones at the time, and he still has little ones. I think the oldest might be ten, and there's four of them. Do, 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 you know, just like that. Anyway, and I said, well, you know, what correction does, what discipline is, the purpose of discipline Part of it is to clear their conscience of guilt. To bring them back into rest or a peaceful relationship with you. And it clears their conscience of guilt. You know, many times, if you, if you tell your child that they're in trouble and you never take care of the problem, they're going to live in guilt. They're going to wonder. They're going to live wondering when is this going to get taken care of or is it ever going to get taken care of? And you know what likely they're going to do? They're going to do something else bad just to get attention because that's not right between you and them because there's a guilt there. You see, correction cleanses us, cleanses of guilt. Uh, and so we need to accept God's correction understand it is for our good. Uh, Psalm the psalm bears this, psalmist bears this out, Psalm 119, verses 67. 
He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 71 says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And so we ought, you know, you know James, James says in James chapter 1, in verse uh, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have a perfect work. You may be perfect and tired, winning nothing. So, you know, God, sometimes he tries us and tests us to, to teach us, to mature us in our walk with the Lord. And he corrects us to change our direction in life. We may be going the wrong way. You know, the sad thing is, the guy that wrote this didn't respond very well to God's correction always. Of course, we don't always, do we? Solomon, you know, would built uh, high places for his strange wives. And the Bible says that the Lord raised up adversaries unto Solomon. The Lord raised up adversaries unto Solomon. But, you know, instead of, instead of Solomon getting rid of the high places... And the groves to, for his strange wives where they offered uh, offerings to Ashtaroth and Baal and all the, all the gods of the heathen. Instead of taking care of those, you know, he did, he ran them out. Um, Jeroboam was one of them. Jeroboam was one of, originally one of Solomon's tribal leaders. And I think it was the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, he, you know, Solomon saw he was an industrial man. He made him a leader of the Ephraim of tribe. He had some government uh, office. But anyway, Jeremiah then uh, caused him trouble. And the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord stirred up. Hadad was another one. What? It was for Solomon's correction. Instead, he drove Hadad into Egypt. Uh, instead of getting right with God. So, so God... You know, we're not to despise or disdain the Lord's chastening. We need to receive it. Because, you know, discipline and correction are guides to steer us in the right direction. That's why we correct our children, to steer them in the right direction, to change their direction. And so we need to accept God's correction uh, and not be weary of it. By the way, uh, we're going we're gonna to receive it until we go to be with him. So don't be weary of it. And then once you notice also, the blessings, he talks about the blessings and the riches of wisdom. Uh, verses 13 through 18, uh, there's nothing compared to wisdom. And wisdom is really obeying the Lord. It's seeking to, 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 to uh, honor him with your life. Uh, verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom, the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. There's nothing you would a person would want more than to have silver and gold in this life, or rubies. They are the most precious of metals, the most valued of metals. And he says there's nothing, they, they don't compare. Length of days in the right hand, and left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths, all her paths are peace. You know, everybody wants peace. But where's peace come from? You know, inner peace 
you know, of course, people are seeking peace in the world, but they're seeking an inner peace too. Many people don't understand what, what they're really missing in life. But an inner peace comes from God, a right relationship with God. You know, the Bible says the wicked are like a troubled sea that it cannot rest. No, peace comes from God, and God is wisdom. Uh, Again, a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, verse 17, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Uh, So again, it brings happiness or blessing in your life. Uh, So so there's a a list of things here that that wisdom brings, uh, pleasantness, uh, peace, uh, liberty, uh, stability, verse 25, or verse 24 and 25. Uh, verse 20, let's actually look at verse 23. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely. Thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For, for the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. See, confidence, like assurance, as we said a couple weeks ago, assurance comes from fellowship with God. Confidence comes from fellowship with God. A right relationship with God. If you have a right relationship with God, you're not going to fear what the world does. You're not going to be concerned about what the world does. Because... God doesn't change. So even though the world changes, if, if you're concerned about what God thinks and not what the, you know, and you give deference to Him, He's the one that directs your paths, and His paths are ways of righteousness and peace. You don't worry about what the world thinks. Rest. A clear conscience. Verse 24. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Wisdom. And then one of those, just to conclude this chapter... Some practical things. First of all, don't look for or seek a confrontation. Notice verse 29. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he hath done thee no harm. You know, we ought, we're not to be people. You know, of course, the Bible talks about not being, in the New Testament, about not being a striker or a brawler. Uh, we're not to be people who are looking for a fight, or seeking a confrontation. Uh, we're to live peaceably with all men as much as lieth within us. Uh, we, so we're not to be one that's stirring up strife. Notice verses uh, 30 and 30, 30 through 32. Strive not with a man without cause, if it done thee no harm. Envy not thou the oppressor, choose none of his way. For a froward is abomination of the Lord, 
but his secret is of the righteous. Somebody describes the, as this, those verses as this. Avoid the tough guy syndrome. You know, the tough guy is the oppressor or the froward. The word froward has to do with willful, obstinate. Uh, and, and so we're to, you know, some people have this, you know, some men have this tough guy outlaw syndrome that, uh, you know, uh, real men don't cry. And real men are never wrong. Or at least they don't admit they're wrong. No, I'd say that's a fool. Real men admit they're wrong. Real men will apologize. You know, we have a lot of tough guy men today that have this idea that you know they, they, they labor to work and work and earn the money and that's all they care about. And just provide for house and, you know, uh, just provide money but don't do anything else. No. No, God expects us to lead. That means we have to take responsibility. Uh, And then notice also, God shares his secrets with the righteous in verse 33, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Uh, verse, uh, verse 32, for the froward is abomination, but notice this, but his secret is with the righteous. Look at Psalm 25 in verse uh, 12, Psalm 25 and verse 12 says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. If you want to know the will of God, if you want to be the, to know the will of God, righteous, just, lowly, wise. That's the qualifiers he gives us here in these four verses. Verse 32, the secret of the Lord is with the righteous. His secret is with the righteous. Verse 33, he blesseth the habitation of the just. Verse 34, he giveth grace unto the lowly, and the wise shall inherit glory. You know, again, if you want to know God's will for your life, if you want God's blessing in your life, if you want to know God's direction for your life and have God's direction in your life, then we must be righteous, lowly. James and First Peter say, Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he shall what? Lift you up. You see, if we want, and it all goes back to, do I have a heart that seeks after God? Not leaning to my own understanding. And of course, that requires 
humility I need, acknowledging Him in all my ways, seeking to do His will, being just. That is, of course, that is wise. So, again, God gives a quality of life. Obedience is the key to the quality of life. But it comes as a result of a heart that's set to do His will, that seeks His will. And so, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Might we seek God and His commandments to do His commandments with all of our heart that we might know His blessing in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us. Father, I pray we would have a heart that seeks after you to know your will and your blessing in our life, to be obedient uh, to what we know to be right. So, Lord, I pray that you'd have, just give us uh, grace and wisdom. Uh, help us, Father, uh, to, um, to maintain that right relationship with you. And uh, we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name.